Welcome to Nonprofit Innovators, brought to you by Good United. This podcast celebrates new and innovative nonprofit successes, the faces behind them, and elevates those winning ideas so that we can learn more from them. Regardless of your role or the size of your nonprofit, we believe you'll find something valuable in this podcast. To learn more about this topic, visit us at goodunited.io. Enjoy the episode. What do you think the current state of veteran nonprofits is, you know, as we're yeah. talking today? I think the tide's going out. Uh, for the last 20 years, the global war on terror has put veterans front and center. Active duty, veterans, military. Uh, we all know the SEALs are front and center, right? Everyone else, right? We were there. Uh, two things have happened. One, COVID. COVID accelerated the need to innovate. A lot of organizations are struggling trying to figure out how to reinvent themselves or trying to figure out how to create a position. Second is that with the global war on terror being over, the the public awareness and public insight is starting to drop. Other causes are starting to rise. And I think that you know veteran nonprofits, last time I checked, it's 43,000 of us. We're really going to need to start to think about how do we, you know, you know, just like in the military, right? We're going to a garrison environment. We're going from conflict, from combat to garrison. How do we retool ourselves um, to survive and most importantly, serve and assist veterans uh, going forward? Well, I know Stop Soldier Suicide uh, has grown significantly over the past couple of years. And so always a challenge, as you said, as the tides change and the attention of the world changes, you know, different nonprofits rise up and have opportunities. But how... How do you think Stop Soldier Suicide has gotten to where it is today from its humble beginnings, even as you said, just a couple of years ago? Well, there's three of us that founded the organizations, myself, another entrepreneur and an investment banker. So we're, we're kind of maniacs. So we uh, move quickly. We test things. Uh, we're very innovative. Uh, we're not tied to you know, anything in the past. Uh, you know, and with that, Maria, you know, I know you've heard me talk about this, but you know, both of my parents were in the intelligence community, and as such, I grew up nine years in Africa and four years in London. And what I like to explain in the nonprofit world is that you know, when I lived in Africa, uh, you know, no one was talking on cell phones, right? No one was talking. There weren't any telephone poles in Africa, right? But technology disrupts things. And you know, 10 years later, right, what was an advantage having this heavy infrastructure, all these things in America take for granted, was now obsolete. So now, right, in Africa, people are talking, they're doing finance, doing banking on their cell phones, right? So technology has disrupted that infrastructure. As I think about stop soldier suicide, we've tested everything, right? I've done the 5K in downtown Raleigh. It sucks, right? It's a massive, massive, um, you know, costly, heavy infrastructure to build. You know, who knew that you had to pay for police officers to show up, right? All that is upfront cost for yet to be determined uh, return. So as I think about, you know, how Stop Soldier Suicide was able to uh, accelerate through COVID and really can establish itself, it's how can we skip the heavy infrastructure costs and go right to the consumer? With that consumer being, we know that they're spending more and more time right online, but maybe even more so in social networks. So instead of building a heavy, you know, uh, you know, a spending $30,000 to throw a 5K event where we might net, you know, I don't know, 30, maybe in year one. What would be a good break-even point from your old life on a year one of an event? Is it break-even break or like break-even? Right. So you spend 30K to break-even. So mm-hmm. what if we could skip the infrastructure costs, create a similar type of event in a virtual setting where it's very cost-efficient and you can get 
much more return out of that. So I think that's really how we have been able to accelerate is to think about the problem set differently, um, look at what has worked and try to understand how to leverage technology to create efficiencies at scale. Well, I, you know, I came from obviously years and years of, of uh, event fundraising and there's huge infrastructures, like you said, that are built up in these nonprofits. And it's, it's not easy to walk away from that. I mean, what do you see the trend now coming out of COVID? I was at the peer to peer forum and a lot of people still want to, a lot of organizations still want to lean into events, which I think you need to, because there's certain people, type of people that still want to do events, but how do you see that these two uh, revenue streams kind of working together or, you know, what's the yeah. most effective you know, way for nonprofits to think about standing them up? I think there's somewhat of a, a state right now in a COVID environment of the haves and have nots. So there's many organizations mm-hmm. that have an existing infrastructure, existing footprint built out of a fundraising machine, right? The gala that you've done five years in a row in DC, do it again, right? You're probably getting some predictability. You could probably see what you're going to be a forecast, Awesome, right? Other organizations, right? The challenge set is, what's the best bang for our buck? Yeah. Are we going to compete against those established players that have all the races figured out, all the peer-to-peer, have the bake sales, or are we going to think differently? And I think that's the, the interesting challenge set that we're in that has only been accelerated uh, by COVID. You know, one of the big pushbacks that I've gotten throughout the last decade is that nonprofits are slow to innovate. Well, if there's yeah. anything that I'm sure of is that pain causes people to react quickly. And COVID was very painful. It was painful for the haves because it zeroed out their ability to have the in-person fundraising events, right? That repeatable revenue that was there. And for the have-nots, in a different sense, we need to figure out new things to do. And so I think yeah. that has really set the picture of, you know, where we're at. And, you know, the I think the in-person events are going to come back. Uh, but there's a whole new world out there to connect with people in a virtual sense, right? Where people are spending time. Well, that's kind of what we, uh, I brought Shirley on, uh, talking about the third wave of giving or the third shift of right. giving, you know, in the nonprofit. And I, I saw that evolution. I'm old. Yeah. I've been around a long time. We started with direct mail and yep. then it was completely revolutionary when email came on the scene and event websites and a, a place to send people to, you know, do all their fundraising and to register and whatnot. But what do you, what's your definition of, we've talked about this before, but the third shift of giving on social media, what does that mean to you? Yeah, I think, you know, to articulate a little bit further on the first and the second. So I think the first shift, we go back to, you know, pre-internet, uh, you show up at your local YMCA, you make a $20 gift saying, Maria, thank you so much for that gift. What's your home address? We'd love to stay in touch, right? Direct yeah. mail and direct mail is a machine, right? There are organizations that have that dead to right rhythm. They're able to have very predictable revenue. They know what they're doing. That's awesome. The second shift, Maria, how much time do you spend at, on, at the local YMCA? Now you're online. What's well, a lot easier to go to the YMCA's website? Oh, wow. I can make a donation. Maria, what's your email address? We'd love to stay in touch. Yeah. This is pretty cool, right? But I don't know about you, but I don't spend a ton of time on nonprofit websites. Yeah. Where I'm at is in LinkedIn. I just learned how to do Instagram, right? The feed. It's giving me golden retrievers nonstop. And I see, you know, army videos. Uh, that's where I'm at. And it'd be really neat if I could give where I spend time. And so I think I saw the last report that I saw was that the average American spends, it's kind of insane, like 42 minutes a day in social networks. No, I believe it. Well, holy smokes, let's enable them to give there. And so that's what we think about the third shift, right? It's not cannibalizing the other two per se. 
It's just an additional right demographic coming up, you could say, or you know where people are spending time. Uh, but what's been really interesting, you know, when we think about the third shift, is that you know one initial hypothesis when we thought about you know raising money and social where people are, is you know all we're going to do is rob Peter to pay Paul. The people that are going to the website that are going to your your, yeah. your in person event. You're just going to, we're going to, we're going to get them in faith and then we're just going to break even, right? We're just taking from bucket one and putting it bucket two. But what's been super interesting is that over 90% of these people are net new to our house file. These are new people, right? It's a new audience, yeah. right? And when I talk with other nonprofits, it's always like, it's like a, you know, like Eeyore, right? Everything sucks all the time. It may be, or we're in a whole new world of growth. And that's how I think the glass is half full. And I think especially for veteran nonprofits with, you know, we're very fortunate, right? We have a bipartisan issue, right? While we, you know, thank God the wars are over. Uh, and while we're not in the news as much, there's so much that we can do because Americans believe in veterans to engage with them, to tell incredible stories in this third ship, to engage people in these stories. And then they're going to want to give. And I think it's fascinating too. And I think it's hard for many nonprofits of all scopes and sizes to get their hands yeah. around how many people are out there that they have not talked to, that they have never asked for a dollar. And these new social media channels are opening up a whole new, I don't know, a whole new audience of people that you've never had the opportunity to talk to before because they haven't chosen to come to your office, like you said, to go to the Y or to go to one of your events. And we can yeah. never minimize how many people are out there. That's what's been surprising to me this past year working at Good United is the amount of support that is out there and is willing to engage with you in a different way. It's, you know, it's, it stops sort of suicide. You know, we get to talk to so many interesting people. And, you know, one of my favorite topics, like, why are you engaged with a nonprofit? And like, I don't know, man, here I'm at, like, we're going to reduce veteran suicide national average, hook or crook. I don't care. We're going to reduce veteran suicide national average. If we do it, anyone else does it. Let's all partner together. Let's make this thing happen by 2030. And the same, like, what, like, well, and I ask them, like, how big do you think the nonprofit market is? It's like, it's a market. I'm like, hell yeah, it's a market. What do you think the revenue is? And I say, I don't know, like a billion. I'm like, what if I told you top line revenue of nonprofits is $2 trillion? Then they look at me and are you serious? I'm like, yeah. Like, what if I told you that 470 billion is given by individuals in America? And of the 472 billion, right? The long tail, are you a millionaire by chance, Maria? Are you holding out on me? Not yet. Not right. Yet. So the average Joe, right, gives like people like us give nine times as much as the Bill Gates and Elon Musk, right? Because it's the law of numbers. There's so many of us when we stack us up, we give. So when I look at it, we are in a massive market that is generally growing, recession resistant. I think it grew four or five percent last year. And for veteran organizations, it's growing. There's opportunity to engage with people in new ways uh, to drive revenue and accomplish the mission. Well, you talk about innovation. So innovation is a buzzword. You know, we've been using it for years and it's really yeah. about understanding and embracing the new. But I know coming from a strong nonprofit background that every decision you take has to be really smart. Uh, you have you have to be very careful about taking the right amount of risk for your organization because you right. can't waste any donor dollars. So when you're leading Stop Soldier Suicide and your leadership there, how did you really evaluate organizational risk or, you know, you driving the your, best return on investment? Do you remember any of your science teachers in high school? Oh, Mr. Ziegler, I think. All right. So Mr. Ziegler was right. Where were you in Ohio, Toledo, Sandusky, yes, Ohio, Sandusky, Ohio. All right. Mr. Ziegler, he was spot on and he was spot on with a scientific method. It's undefeated. 
And so how we drive innovation, it's not some wild thing where let's do peyote and like see what happens, right? Let's get on a wall and start drawing things. It's discipline. So the scientific method is deserve a system or a process and hypothesize and test. So innovation to me is a discipline process, right? That's very engineered. And that if we believe that we can create a gala, well, how do we test that small, quick and fast? How do we embrace failure? And when I say embrace failure, right, what I think a lot of organizations can learn from is that in the back of the mind, you know what that one dependency is. Users on viability, right, usability or desirability. Those are the three big buckets of why things fail. So that one thing they think is going to fail is like, you know, Maria, I believe that we can do a gala in Washington, D.C. Like, oh, that's great. And I can think of all the things of why it's going to work. What's the one thing that why it won't work? What is it? You know, it, it is right. And you have that. Bring it up to the front. Test it first, right? Test it first, test cheaply. And if it fails, right? Like, so the hypothesis might be, I don't know anyone in DC. So I can build the world's greatest event. If I don't have a network to get anyone there, let's bring that right. up front and let's do something. So I think like that's that's a process that we've learned to embrace failure because failure is going to happen anyways, but at least you have a methodology uh, to, to not make it sting and to fuel innovation and growth. That's good. I mean, it's scary. Uh, trying something new is scary and you have a lot of eyes on you. So I like the way you're talking about like work through every scenario, define failure up front, how you're going to get around it. And that's what you can present to your boards or to your leadership that you've thought through every scenario. You aren't just like throwing paint on the wall or whatever. And just, let's just try something. We can't afford to do that with limited resources. Absolutely. It's a defined test, right? So you show up to a board, show up to your executive director. You're saying, we need to drive $1 million or X amount of revenue. In order to do that, we need to you know, create Y growth. For Y growth, we're going to have to do one of five things. My belief is number one is the first thing that we should test. Here's a small way to test that. We're most likely going to fail, but we're going to learn a lot. With those learnings, we'll be able to gain ground and de-risk future investment. What are your questions? Right. That's good. And I would say, go for it. Spend more money. Let's go. Test faster. Fail faster. Let's start to find more fit. Yeah. So we got a question or a comment in the uh, in our messages here, and it, I'm going to read it to you and uh, cool. see if you can reply to it. So how is it suggested that we leverage technology without access to manipulating large market social media platform algorithms? So the whole algorithms, especially in the current climate when Meta is acknowledging the lack of visibility for veteran nonprofits on their platforms. Uh, this is intriguing. Uh, Good United is now a Meta business partner. Um, tell us a little bit about that. And what are your thoughts regarding this question from uh, Kara? Let me see the, the question one more time. How is it suggested yeah. that we leverage the technology of access manipulating large market social media platform, leverage the technology, especially in the current climate when Meta is acknowledging like, yeah, so this is interesting. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of conversation about Web 3.0. And, you know, I had that ask a lot of people to understand what that is, but essentially it's a privatization of the website, of, of the internet, mm -hmm. right? We're going to leverage blockchain so that Maria Clark, wherever she goes, no one's going to know who she is. It's the exact opposite of all those cookies on the website. Yeah. Right. So I think in regards to that question, you know, maybe we're going into an environment, not today, maybe in five, 10 years where we all want to have and capture these donors, right? We want to have them in our house file. We want to drive lifetime value but maybe that's not where we're going to end up, right? So that's one thing that I think about. I'm like, what are all the second, third effects about that, right? Does that mean that it becomes more of a brand play, right? To more about engaging, 
Uh, in regards to leveraging these uh, these networks, I think there's a cost, right? And the cost is lack of data. The challenge set is that how do we test and find fit? I think there's some really interesting plays in Instagram, especially for veteran organizations. We have so many great stories, right? Creating a series of reels about one of the people that you help, creating a donate tag on that. What is it, what is the opportunity cost of doing that for sending out an email campaign, right? Mm-hmm. That's what I find interesting. So there's gives and takes. There is no free lunch. Uh, but the good news is, is, you know, at least in my experience is that, you know, I'm not that smart and it's very difficult for me to engage with people in a meaningful way um, in platform, like on a cell phone or an email. Yeah. Uh, however, these social networks have the world's most powerful algorithms, right? Instagram is figuring out how to put that golden retriever in front of me every single chance it gets. And I watch the video. So how can we repurpose and leverage that algorithm to get in front of our donors and, you know, what do we give up for that? Is the juice worth the squeeze? I think that's what's really exciting about this new world. There's so many things to test. There's so many ways to find new audiences. And unlike before, where you might be geographically bound, you can go to anywhere in the world. That's right. What's your take on uh, the different social media platforms and uh, ease of giving and where we should, you know, invest our time as yeah. a nonprofit? You know, I, I was thinking about this and seemingly there's two worlds that are being established uh, to, to leverage some business methodology. So one, I think is a nonprofit instead of a B2B, I'm sorry, B2C, it's a nonprofit directly to a supporter. So that is a nonprofit uh, going right to Maria Clark, getting you to start a fundraiser or to give. When I think about that, that nonprofit to supporter model, think about Facebook, right? Think about um, Instagram. The other model, right, is a nonprofit to content creator to support. Right. Think about TikTok. Think about uh, Twitch, right? So like Twitch is really interesting for veteran nonprofits. So, you know, I can't believe that people watch other people play video games. I can't believe that people donate to watch other people play video games, but it is a massive market. And seemingly the most majority of the, the video games are veteran themed, right? Like war, like people in their basements, you know, yeah. shooting each other all around the world. Yeah. But True. the value of what I've seen in millions of dollars being driven through Tiltify, you know, it's an incredible organization. And Twitch is getting to those content creators that are then playing and then then, then, then their supporters are donating to that nonprofit. So like one model saying, you know what, we're going to find five content creators in Twitch and we're going to ask them to do their next live stream and have the benefit of our organization. You know, I think that's an interesting play. And the other one is, you know, how do we get to Maria Clark and get her to give? So those seemingly are the two different worlds that are being established um, in the social giving uh, landscape. I think the third world that is on its infancy stage is think about like Uber or Spotify. I, like mm. uh, we have a young a 20 year old on our team. I have no idea who Marshmallow is. Right. I thought I it's like a s'more, but right? that's like a rapper yeah. or something. Yeah. I was like, yeah. all right, show me Marshmallow. And Marshmallow is connected to his local food bank that you can give to. Wow. Right. So like maybe that follows the model of nonprofit to content creator. I guess it does. But, you know, why is Uber when you sign up for an Uber have International Rescue Committee for Ukraine Relief, the front and center? Right. So I think there's all these new ways that businesses are seeing that philanthropy, especially veteran nonprofits, can drive business value in engaging people in their cause. That's good. So what let's let's give some people some practical things to think about if you're sitting in sitting watching you know, this LinkedIn live event. Thank you for joining. 
Um, what should you be thinking about? What should be, what infrastructure should you be building in your organization to allow you to start testing uh, some new social media channels or testing some new strategies? What do you think we could give our, our listeners, our viewers? The first thing is that? to turn on Facebook giving tools. Right? If you have mm-hmm. not turned it on, turn them on. Um, it is the closest thing to free money that you will see and that you'll start to get some type of revenue. Right? It also enable you to start to monetize your audience. Now, there's all sorts of difficult ways to do that, right? Generally, what nonprofits see is that birthdays will be started on their behalf, but it gives you a seamless way to engage with people. In one click, I can get Maria, right, to start a fundraiser. I can access a group, right? If I'm if I'm in Sandusky, Ohio, right, the Sandusky Runner Association, I can join their group and post a link for one click donation. So I think the first thing that I would recommend every single veteran nonprofit do is turn on Facebook giving tools because you're losing out on revenue. I don't know how much, but you are losing out on revenue for sure. That's a good one. That's a good one. I think it's it, now is the time to really look at your organizational structure and you know where does innovation sit. Um, there's a new line that's blurred that used to be really strong between marketing and development. If you have right. those two departments, that you really need to figure out how to work together because. It's it's basically a new form of fundraising using marketing tools. So I'd start figuring that out now. How are you going to work together? What are the rules of engagement? How are you going to report back to your board? Um, What revenue line is it going to hit? And we have to get over the fact that you fight for your own revenue line. You have to think of your whole organization. What's the biggest lift, you know, for your organization. So there's a lot of internal conversations. The sooner you start figuring that out, the more ready you will be to embrace the next opportunity. I think the other piece, Maria, that I find, you know, at Stop Source Suicide and growing this thing is, you know, oftentimes, and I do it all the time, right? I come up with a concept and I want to run with it. It's the exact wrong answer. I don't have all the answers. I don't know, right? The people that do know are the ones that support the organization. And so like after this call, turn on Facebook, give them tools and go on a listening tour. Do discovery with people that care about you. Where do they spend time, right? If we're trying to foot, you know, a square peg through a round hole, it's not going to work, right? Mm-hmm. Where, you know, hey, thank you very much for the $500 gift. You know, would you mind if I talk to you? Talk to me about where you go. Where do you give? Do you do galas? Do you go to events? Are you online? Are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Instagram, right? And that will start to be able to give you a shock group and to boil down and saying, you know what? A lot of our people are engaged with this type of company or they're part of this club or they're runners or whatever it might be. But I think it'll allow you to you know, sharpen down what your initial market fit is and then figure out what channel is viable to start testing in. And it might, yeah, you know, Facebook good. is where I think like 98% of the revenue and social networks are, are, but the other ones are coming on strong from TikTok, yeah. Instagram's coming on. I know it's in the meta universe. Uh, Twitch is super interesting, right? I think especially for veterans, I'm very bullish on that model of nonprofit to content creator to consumer because yeah. these games are focused around, you know, military action. We got another really good question. I think is completely in line with what we're talking about right now is, you know, it is going to take an infrastructure to build a revenue stream around social media. I mean, it's not going to be, you know, magic out of the sky. It's going to take, you know, some internal resourcing. Um, Kara asked again, I hope I'm saying your name right, Kara, but you know, we know there's a cost to in-person events. Uh, the direct costs, like you said, the police officers, the stage, the porta potties, whatever it takes, but also the internal costs, the indirect costs, the staffing, the you know the cost to run your website, et cetera. Like how um, 
Kara's question was, how does that compare to what we think it's going to take to stand up a revenue stream? And then how do you make the best decision on the real costs of both? Um, you know, where's your decision making go? Uh, well, I think it's it's twofold, right? So if you already are in social uh, fundraising, then test in person. What is the true mm-hmm. all-in cost? What's happening? You know, I don't think there is any free lunch, uh, but the only way that, that I know is to benchmark. So what I benchmark, uh, I, I have been very fortunate to talk with a lot of nonprofits. Uh, I think one gentleman, uh, Mr. French, we talked about gallon sponsorships. I've yet to hear anyone tell me of a true peer-to-peer ROI. Right. Yeah. Like you include the orange slices. Oh, you don't. Well, that costs money. Do you include your staff time? How do you measure staff time? Do you measure you? Are you are you a consultant at Deloitte? Do you measure by the 15 minute increment? How do you think about it? Right. So it's all very difficult. So what I like to think is return Aspen, which isn't great. It's more net new. Um, You know, I think, you know, I don't know. Uh, I know that it's, you know, seemingly it's. uh, You know, I would say there's more data if you have a, a activated approach on um, in social, but, you know, I think you could argue that the other way, if you have an existing footprint with events. Um, so I'm not sure. And I think that every organization needs to test, uh, yeah. but, you know, th- definitively there is a whole new growth channel opening up uh, with new people engaging with causes uh, that are ripe to, you know, to, to get in front of, to capture, right. to, to build a relationship with. Yeah, and I think you just have to be honest with yourself and within your organization about, the, like you said, what are the true all-in costs? And um, if you've had an event for a long time, it's not fair to compare that cost to a brand new revenue stream. You know, you built that over time, but you eventually have to look at what's the biggest return on investment and yeah. where is the best uh, investment of those donor dollars to get the most return to your mission. Um, a- there's a lot of value of in-person events with the... The connections and the that was always the value, but don't forget you can establish those same kind of emotional connections on social media and the same type of engagement as you used to, as you still do in events. I think uh, it's a great question, and I think maybe another way to attack it is lifetime value. Um, so I mm, just, I just the thought of just doing GoFundMe's forever just kills me because you just you do an effort and you're like, hey, congratulations, you got to do it again. Why do I have to do it again? Well, because we haven't built equity in anything. And so I think as we think about the three different shifts, the equity is built and how do we connect with you after the fact, right? A home address, direct mail, email, you know, the email strategy. I think in social and what Kara is referencing is that they don't make it easy. However, right, when we can acquire these people in channel, and what I mean by that is a subscriber, a messenger subscriber, a Instagram message subscriber, a LinkedIn subscriber, right? We have a crystal clear communication path to reach out to these people. So it's been really interesting is how do we think about in these new channels that have 95% open rate, right? And click-through rate is over 85%, right? How, what's better? Do you want 100 people on email where 10% open and 1% click? Do you want yeah. 20 people in, in, in Messenger where 19 open and 8 click, right? And there's some really interesting math coming about. And this whole world is new, uh, but I think it's really exciting, especially for organizations that are growing. Because, you know, while you still want to, you know, be diversified a little bit, right, there's a, you can skip a lot of these heavy infrastructure costs and potentially start building audiences in new places. That's right. That's great. I know we could talk forever and ever. So, um, first of all, I want to thank everyone for uh, posting comments and we want to encourage more. Uh, and also, I encourage you 
reach out to connect with both Nick and I on LinkedIn or send us an email. We want to talk further about this and see how uh, we might partner with your organization or just learn more about you. Um, but Nick, I'll give you the, the last word. Any final comments you want to share with our uh, veteran audience here and uh, any tips or thoughts? Yeah, thank, thank you for everything that you're doing. Uh, I had the opportunity to serve with some incredible men and women. Uh, I have lost 14 of my soldiers. Uh, the 14th happened two weeks ago um, and it kills me. And I'm here uh, with two missions about reducing veteran suicide. National average uh, is my life's calling. And the only way we're going to do it is working together. And uh, it's hard work. It's thankless work. Uh, but, you know, thank you for what you're doing. Um, a lot of people uh, just it's it's um, it's 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 honorable work. And, uh, you know, I'm just thankful that there's others out there trying to make this thing happen. Uh, so so we appreciate yeah. you. This has been Nonprofit Innovators, a podcast from Good United on a mission to democratize the nonprofit supporter experience. Check out our blog, chock full of ideas like these and others for the future of fundraising at goodunited.io. My name is Mark Cross, sales director here at Good United. You can follow me or our host, Maria Clark, on LinkedIn. Thanks for checking us out.